1: Yesterday was born in Pennsylvania in 1959, living in Cleveland, Ohio until the age of 10. As a young boy, he was a voracious reader and alongside athletics, intrigued with news in print and television. Following his graduation from the University of Wisconsin with a B.A. double major in political science and economics, he was recruited onto the John Glenn's presidential campaign and traveled with astronaut John Glenn in what became a prestigious opportunity and life experience. He went on to work in real estate in Chicago, earning further success, later becoming chairman of McCook Metals in 2001. After a challenging period in litigation, he is now pursuing business opportunities with profound visions of growth, both personally and for those he partners with in the corporate community. Michael Lynch, welcome again back to In Discussion, it's a pleasure to have you here. like to continue from our prior conversation and maybe delve deeper as we discover um, our journey that we're taking here and I know that you're taking one as well and I think that those journeys that we share define us as people really becoming uh, individuals that are in service to those around us your vision in business after this current chapter is completed is obviously to immerse yourself back into business in uh, creating sustainability and uh, a future for all of those who uh, share this journey with you. What are your present thoughts that are going through your mind as you take this journey at the moment as you get through this current chapter?
2: Well, I I find it a very interesting period of time in human history that the opportunity that presents itself for growing a business from uh, taking new technologies and building a platform uh, in a rather short period of time is, is a great opportunity in today's environment. It's really attributed to a lot of the uh, external factors outside the United States that's driving Uh, global growth and global opportunities. With our fertilizer business uh, and and the technology is is very, very revolutionary. The marketplace where 10 years ago if we had bought a business here in in the United States we were focused primarily as a North American marketplace. If you could acquire a company, restructure it, make it profitable our real sales and marketing efforts were with companies based in North America. What's dramatically changed that in today's environment, and it's evidenced by other companies that are started um, businesses from scratch and have exponential growth, much like Google, for example, which was a technology that was created from here in the United States but grew dramatically in a decade became you know one of the world's largest corporations. That's unheard of. In the past, it would take decades in, in, in long-term, you know, 100-year type companies that would build global growth. Today, if you have a technology that can benefit uh, a, a consumer, whether it's an individual using fertilizer to grow his or her plants or a commercial application, i.e. a farmer, it has broad-reaching ramifications because it's just not focused on here in the United States or in the Midwest. So. That, combining with the fact of the digital age and the transparency that that brings through iPhones, through video conferencing, through email, it's just an extraordinary time to be alive developing businesses and seeing the exponential growth beyond the borders of the United States.
1: I'm sharing these programs with the most amazing people, Michael, including yourself, that is talking to these very issues of how people's consciousness is changing not only in this country but as you say abroad we live in a world now where information is massive a massive delivery being uh, pounded um, down our throats every day and I suspect that to some it will be uh, perplexing and confusing I'd like to provide this this argument for you and see what you think because this did come up in a recent conversation with a learned colleague of mine that as people we feed off uh, three main areas in life we feed off science and technology, Uh, we feed off uh, politics and business and one thing that did come to mind in a profound conversation recently was the conversion from using the word consumer more to the word citizen and this was something actually that was uh... provided by my great friend uh... bruce pierceki i think that citizen is so much more important to utilize these days than consumer consumer uh, really that became apparent uh... in the nineteen fifties is in my mind very much a negative connotation there is a manipulation i suppose or a, a conditioning of us as people where we follow these three main areas. Do you see that it's important in, in any business, and anything that you're doing for us to be able to reverse that paradigm so that people can can direct the system, direct what they need, rather than, than them being directed?
2: I agree with that. I think because <laughs> of the digital age and now the transparency that it brings, um, you're seeing the business model be restructured where... In the past, the, the, the American business model that came out after World War II, where uh, a manufacturer, an individual, would produce a product in, uh, in mass production without much variance, and they would advertise that product to the consumer so he or she would benefit based on the recommendation of the manufacturer and without any particular verification that that product was actually a benefit to the consumer. Today, because of the transparency, because of you know vehicles like Facebook and LinkedIn and and the email and, and Google and the, the rapidness that news basically goes through the system, that anyone that has that digital interface in their hand can rapidly, on a daily basis, see whether a product is good or bad, and can now Google and use the web as a vehicle to research the products effectiveness and chemical you know, makeup that didn't exist and so what's happening with these digital uh, interface and these digital uh, communication i.e. Facebook being a clear example the manufacturer or producer of that goods or services is now interconnected with the consumer or the citizen because instead of being a consumer it's now the citizen saying you know I would like this type of product or I would like this to help solve a problem in my home. And the company that produces that good or service has to respond or he or she will not uh be able to survive in the marketplace. It's the the, the demand and the, the refocus on how people consume things because of what's happening in the US economy, this new age of austerity is now uh, rebuilding the way corporations or entrepreneurs that build companies think and interact with consumers consumer. It's a much more closer relationship than we've had before because you of the digital age.
1: You know it's amazing if I look back over the last nine months since this programming started it, it, it baffles me in my quiet times when I look at just how much has changed and how much I've learned and how much my guests have learned by interacting and talking about these things. But there has been, I I truly believe that 2010 has been a shift in consciousness, a shift in the world where we've taught ourselves so much, you know, and I, I look at the commentators who I've had the pleasure to talk to who have been mentoring those heads of corporations. Mentoring them to think differently to think less about the shareholders and more about the people all the way down that chain um, Ending up with the citizen And I think that there was always a concern or this fear of how to do that how to achieve that How do you change the mindsets of people who are? Um, idolizing uh, the dollar But would you agree with me Michael that perhaps now? Um, our workload in that area may not be as hard as we had considered it because of the Facebook and the LinkedIn and everything that you talk to that has got to create this transparency where leaders in corporations and leaders in politics will have no other alternative but to change their outlook.
2: I agree with you, David. What it does is it makes (laughs) the CEO or the politician uh, now fully accountable for his or her actions. It's um, the the business model that took place in the 50s and 60s in the States and then grew into Europe and now the rest of the world that's now changing was a, a, a top-down hierarchy where it was dominated by a, a group of individuals, at that time primary men, and they would dictate the moral philosophy of the organization uh, through uh, the, the board meetings and meetings with senior executives, and then it would trickle down to middle managers and then eventually hopefully to the factory floor. Today, it's very, very evident that if a uh, CEO missteps from a moral standpoint, that it, the change is rapid. A clear example what took place last week with HP executive, who had a very brilliant future, but because of a misstep, uh, the board of directors removed him. And that was done because of and effective transparency of the individuals involved, and it was swift. And so what I what I think, as long as you have this medium not controlled but actually free, the ability to speak or uh, communicate freely and not regulate the Internet, despite some of the controversial things that are on the Internet, this ability to communicate and to make transparency is making everyone accountable, including myself and including you. So, As long as this continues to be a free medium, it's creating tremendous transparency and thus change and then accountability and responsiveness to, in this case, if you are a CEO of a corporation, to the the new individual that's the citizen. And you have to satisfy what the citizen is desiring in the marketplace.
1: What do we have to do, Michael? I'm I'm always going back to this, but I'm going to do it again anyway. I I do draw this l- line in the sand. I'm getting well known for it with the founding fathers, you know, who set up a republic and each of us becomes our own capitalists and each of us has our gifts and we can use our hands to create something to make a life. Today, given that manufacturing and industry has been um, somewhat diluted, it becomes technology now, does it not? we have to teach our children that their gifts will become a technology paradigm instead of something that they can put together with their hands and what is that paradigm, what is that make-up, what is that methodology in which they have to figure out how they can best use technology in the future to satisfy all the requirements of sustainability climatology and, and everything else?
2: That's a very good question. And in, in given the shift that we're seeing in what we do and the automation of the factory floor where we're using less and less physical labor, um, that that individual that had a craft, that was a tradesman that could fix things and could do things with his hands, his or her hands, and had the ability to problem solve on the factory floor, i.e. servicing a machine that had an issue you know, fix the pump or work on a, a production line that went down and find a replacement part be a problem solver that element has gone away and what's happened is our educational system uh, both here in the states and globally is we need to educate individuals on skills of from the standpoint of reacting to problems and resolve them with, the, with the, the thinking process rather than the physical process because to be able to take technology and apply it in a, a thinking environment to solve a problem is where it's going. So the, the revamping of the educational system, and I think it's coming. I think we're seeing the, the, the tremendous visibility this year. The criticism of the educational system in the United States and major changes that are coming a long way, especially with the application of these technologies. You are training individuals rather than be followers, Now it scares some people they want, they're basically comfortable with the hierarchy approach, but to make them problem solvers and think outside the box. And a true entrepreneur or someone that starts a company does that, sees an opportunity, looks at it, and then tries to solve that, that situation or create a product that solves a situation or provides a good or service to the consumer now, as we call them, the citizen. So I think the base of education is very important and because we are so interconnected via this new digital medium both here in the States and globally and now the ability to think and to be able to react is, is what my personal opinion is that the future of uh, people that contribute to society.
1: Do you think there's, there's two parts to that? Uh, I look at academia my goodness me I've been involved in it for long enough certainly a lot of things are going to change uh, there's still kids who approach me every single day with resumes and call themselves Masters of Business Admi- Administration and I I have nothing against them and I certainly do not judge them. I feel concerned for them that perhaps they're being taught something that is um, uh, archaic in a way. But I also see us when we're talking about education here as having a preventative side rather uh, l- as healthcare did when they started uh, bringing in uh, preventative measures uh, 30 or 40 years ago and sometimes I think to myself after this latest BP oil spill problem that I truly believe is going to uh, create terrible health problems in the future in 10 or 20 years from now I feel as if we should take these kids out of these universities and march them along the coastlines to see the damage that has been created by our generation in order to solidify that need to present them with the, the the picture of what we're doing to our world with a system that is completely broken, and the, what we're trying to train them in not following. Do you think that that is a, uh, a a good way to look at this when it comes to education? I think it's a very good suggestion.
2: I think by by you doing that to that individual to expose them the, of the real after effects of what is a, just a horrendous disaster. Um, and to articulate to he or her that because of this mistake, even though there's best efforts to clean it up and to remediate, we just can't do it as humans with this current technology. And I think what that does is that 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 makes that person uh, more grounded uh, that if he or she is in a position of authority and and makes decisions, uh, that is much more grounded the fact that my decision, if it's wrong, could have an impact on someone, could have an impact on a range, in this case, uh, half of the American society that is dependent down there for their their, their form of, of lifestyle and trade. I think it's very important. I think more and more interaction, especially individuals that are of, of MBA uh, education, that they actually have experience of this nature. Uh, it makes them better leaders in the ability to be proactive in recognizing future problems based on potential decisions that they make. I know there's technologies that exist that can help uh, rectify a lot of what's taking place down there and hopefully we have leadership both at the corporate level and the political level here in the states to 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 utilize those technologies.
1: Would you agree with me Michael that over the next couple of years because I'm finding myself more conscious every day of, of what God is telling us to do in this world that we will shift this world over the next year or two simply by a more globally community-led sense of spiritual awareness that really breaks down those constructs of money as being uh, the be-all end-all is that part of the solution that will uh, that will help our society to not be afraid of making money but to be more diligent in the way that it is made
2: yeah, I think so. I, I think there is an awareness, and I, I think it's driven by uh, by God. In, in in today's environment, sometimes given the political correctness, people don't like to talk about that. But uh, I, I strongly believe my situation. I strongly believe watching what you're doing, in other situations, that this is driven by God, and uh, there there is opportunities if you follow His way to utilize for good. I, I, I was taught early young in a Jesuit education high school that, and it's something to me that was very puzzling back in the 70s when I was at Lyell Academy here in, in Wilmette, Illinois, that the, the whole thesis that if you, the more you give, the more you receive. And if you look at the time in the 70s, the, the business model was the ruthless corporate deal maker that was emerging, and, you know, the more he took, the more he received. I honestly, given my experience in life and the difficulties i face, that that's very true. The more I have given, the more I have received in in blessings that God has bestowed on me and my family, despite the adversities. So I, I know in my little piece of the world, in what I have asked for him in my next journey, is give me a tool, a technology, and a business model that does good things for you, Lord, here on earth. And he's given it to us in a most striking way. And the technology that can reverse the nitrogen write-off that goes into our lakes and oceans, that's actually creating problems. The, the technology that technically could eliminate the need for oil consumption as fuel and through these technologies is there. And so I, I, I think if you are focused on what he wants, you listen to what God says, he'll point you in the direction. It won't be easy. But in fact, because you're more committed to him, it may be, very difficult but the end result with his blessing is very positive so I agree there is a, a, a sudden shift that's taken place over these last several years and the more that these problems become transparent the more that the individual says enough I want to change things you're starting to see it and I think it's an awakening by the Lord to what we're doing to to the earth
1: frankly. one becomes a leader uh, uh, surely uh, in, in these times and there's a uh, to a, an extent a loneliness that comes with that because uh, <clears throat> when you become a leader you have to immerse yourself in uh, discipline and you have to immerse yourself in in uh, making sure that every step you take is uh, ethical and moral and is serving those around you as you take your journey now and you are developing new business working with new partners How are you doing things differently to the way that you would have done them, say, three, four, five years ago?
2: I um, am much different in my approach. Um, I would say the fundamental change that I've adapted um, is the ability to listen and to not prejudge people. Um, In the past, it, it, it was part of the reason I was successful, but the ability to react and, and make judgments without disseminating all the material information and listening to people around me, and even with their 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 moral guidance, you know, not being correct, I, I would judge a person because he was a bad Christian or he's a bad person, and he may be a good business person or a good scientist, but because of his um, grounding you know I was I was quick to judge and to um, put that person in, in his or her place because of that and, you know Jesus walked among sinners and led by example and so what I've learned today and in this transition it made me uncomfortable because it wasn't how I was grounded how, what made me successful coming up through those early years as an entrepreneur is now I, I listen to people from all walks of life in different makes and and uh, through wisdom and discernment and through prayer i make decisions i didn't do that and uh, in my 30s i made i had an offer to sell the company uh granted well it wasn't to who i wanted to but because of my um uh, maybe wrong interpretation or maybe not realizing that it, i couldn't go anywhere because the government wasn't going to protect me I made a decision to fight versus sell. And maybe if I had sold those assets, uh, there would still be 2,000 people working here in the United States under the three plants that I owned. So uh, I'm less rash in my decision-making process and much more uh, thoughtful. And uh, through prayer and wisdom and discernment, I, I make decisions and it's been much more fruitful in my endeavors and less painful on me and my employees.
1: As you build your new business, and I I understand it is a new business, <clears throat> or it may be a continuation. What will your uh, sense of uh, consciousness and uh, and and communication level be now, not just with people around the executive boardroom table, but also those people all the way down that chain to the to the shop floor and beyond can you see your uh can you see a model evolving here as to how you personally will shape that uh to um ensure that everybody is comfortable and challenged and shares a vision simply of creating a product that is meaningful and useful and that will serve um, the, the general public well that they can be proud of. How, how will you go about that 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 now will be different
2: um, a sense of, of purpose and mission and in it's in the past we my partners my brother, we always were on the factory floor and we had success because of that. From the standpoint, the, the prior management was very top heavy and never visit the, the, the floor and never visit the plant. We actually would poke fun at our competitors during the uh, late '90s on that, and it created quite a stir because we were one of the first people, at least on this group of businesses, that were doing that. It, where I, f- f- where we fell short, in my opinion, and looking back through some introspection, is. They especially the ones that were in the union environment they, they they were trying to readapt to the rapid change that we were infusing into the the, the factory floor as far as the you know, austerity and streamlining and uh, accountability and, and uh, productivity but they didn't they didn't understand the mission they didn't understand what the ultimate goal was and they didn't understand where the organization was going. I, I think that misinformation or misperception because we didn't communicate, where we were going to go, and we already knew where we were going to be as a company internally and at the board level and the top management ranks, but we never effectively communicated to the person, the hourly wage earner on the factory floor, um, and I think it was more out of fear, because um, typically in a union environment, they would use information like that to try to extract and lever and negotiate you know, from the bargaining position, so I, I think, in fact, I know it's changed because the current businesses that we're growing, we've, we've done that and, and from the mission that this is going to be a startup. We have the technology, and here's the vision. Here's what we're going to be both the next month, next year, and then 10 years from now. And it's, it's consistently communicated to them on a, a weekly and monthly basis. So uh, we're going to do a much more effective job in that in, in attempt to build an even more stronger team but also at the same time is make them even more accountable, uh, where they they step up to, that, the, to the, the level of what we expect as far as productivity. And uh, you, you can't make exceptions. You don't let them slip. And if they someone slips and doesn't want to adhere to the, to the standards, then you'll have to remove that person. So uh, we, uh, that, that is where my intent has been and where it's going. And through the difficulties that I've experienced, I, I think we're doing a new an effective way of communicating with everyone in the
1: organization. I suppose our generation <coughs> is uh, somewhat the testbed for all of this. Um, y- if you look worldwide, you probably have 800 major corporations. And I often look at them like uh, Toyota and Walmart and others and think that there are going to be some of those that fall by the wayside. Um, and, and I'm not suggesting Toyota is one of them, but in uh, really expediting their product, they have had problems, as we've seen, with their brake uh, issues, etc. And I think it's not out of uh, maliciousness. I think it's simply uh, a company like Toyota trying to find new ground and trying to deliver on uh, the visions that we're talking about here. But I'm sure you'll agree that there will be many of these corporations uh, as the guinea pigs that that will falter and will fall until such time as we find in the next decade the business model that will meet all the all of the new criteria that we're looking for in this this changing world.
2: I agree. I, I think we Americans are at some disadvantage as far as potential transparency um, because of the the legal system that we currently exist. Uh, we're just a very litigious society, and I'd have to say that I I participated in that activity. I think other cultures, other societies, there is uh, accountability in event of a corporate failure. But in the States, because of the potential uh, damage claims that could be generated in these class-action lawsuits that are by contingency attorneys, there's got to be a need for tort reform and some limitations and, and, so, and some of these abilities to, to receive judgments. Uh, I think if you were to get that, you would have more transparency and a little more openness with some corporations and trying to effectuate change. Um, I know for a fact, because I've, I've dealt with some of these individuals, they're scared to death of being too transparent. that will, will allow them to be dragged into some form of litigation. So other societies don't have that. Um, there is more of a, a relationship. Uh, the, the Germans, for example, despite some of their limitations as a society, they're very productive. They've got a very strong economy, and there's a more of a, a partnership relationship between the, uh, the the labor and the in the, and the uh, corporate leadership. And uh, I think we have to kind of migrate towards that type of business model.
1: If you were creating a <clears throat> flowchart, uh, an action list, as it were, for your new business and You were taking out the word money and profitability and replacing it with another word that defined the community spirit and the mission of everybody involved in the business. What word or set of words would you use in that statement?
2: I would use the word enterprise value because it's of like an organism that's growing, whether it's a plant whether it's uh, uh, some form of uh, bacteria, whether it's uh, uh, an animal that's growing and, and, and striving to uh, survive and be productive in their own world. Enterprise value is always valued by Wall Street. as you know, what the true profits are, and you take that and give it some time of multiple, and that's enterprise value. The individual on the factory floor, based on the old model, understands that because he or she says if the enterprise value is X, then I'm going to get my my bonus, or I'm going to get part of the profit sharing. So if if you can just focus on we as a team that come together and create this business, this enterprise, the value we ex, and if they can share in that value, then you have more of a team building process than what's happened in the past. And so, and it's not a mention of you know, you know, net profits and, and the amount of money we're going to net out and the leverageness of the balance sheet, etc. It's the value of the company as we grow. And, and it can be measured by all types of indices. But there's, there's very few people uh, off Wall Street that really communicate with their employees and say, we're going to develop the value, the enterprise value of this organization. And uh, it's organic because we're going to grow. And so I would start utilizing those type of terms. And then what morphs out of that is now new descriptions on how you build the organization. I think
1: it's a healthier way of looking at things. If I may, with all that said, I'd like to return to the initial uh, issues that we talked about, and that is the reversal of the paradigm of uh, conditioning from uh, the, the corporate mansion, as it were, and politics and science and technology of the citizens, and reversing that so that the citizens condition the system uh, in order to find... And retain the right product for them in what area, whatever area of life it is. With what you're saying, it seems to me that that model would be well served by beginning in a business like yours, that where your information, your market research is delivered by those people who work underneath you, that then from there can spread out into the community. Do you see that as a good model?
2: I do. And we're actually implementing it and without, you know, violating any trade secrets, our business model is now going to the consumer directly. I'll give you an example. And then how we react to that. Um, You may live in the UK. You have a certain uh, plant that you want to plant in your backyard in different soil conditions. We can um, prescribe a fertilizer that's conducive to your surroundings all right in other words before we manufacture that fertilizer we can test your soil go through the the organic composition of that soil what is needed and then develop a fertilizer specifically for your region for your soil application and your plant application and now it's done is we take that sample, and the equipment that we've purchased is very expensive equipment, but as we, as this technology continues to morph and develop, if we buy more of this equipment, the cost will come down. But what it does is then you FedEx, UPS, or DHL, that sample to our lab here in the Midwest, we then test it, look at the application, and then prescribe an application, and within three weeks at your doorstep is a fertilizer specifically developed for your use and for your soil condition it's a paradigm shift no one's done that and and the traditional you know competitors which I've learned not to mention anymore that just manufacture and have an MBK of 15 15 15 you buy it off the shelf floor and then take it to your backyard and apply it um, is not as effective as what we are doing and that application selling to to develop a product around the citizen, the consumer, that needs this and to change his soil conditions for a specific application is uh, unprecedented. Uh,
1: So you just defined you just given me a response to to that whole paradigm um, where now your customer gains control and that's not a control of manipulation. You know it's interesting to me Michael that that we or you in your business has to offer them that. People out there don't know uh, in in the main part how business works, so you have to, as much as you want them to be able to guide you in providing them with the right product, you still have to lead them down a road to a certain extent to to make sure that they're getting what they need before you start that, that process. How will that then change... Society. How? What will that do? What will that create? And how will that uh, convert the conditions that we find ourselves in now, uh, since the 1950s, where we've had exactly the opposite happening to us? How? How? What sort of form or shape do you think that will take, or could it take what, decades to do it?
2: No, I, I think we're not the only ones that are thinking along these lines. I think there are t- talented entrepreneurs. Both here in Europe, in the United States, and now in Asia, and now morphing into other, you know, even the Middle East and, and into Africa, that realize for for what, whether it's motivation for money, for being a self-made individual, or um, creating a company, that, that the way they're going to have a a competitive edge is to provide uh, a service and technology that is it doesn't exist in that particular marketplace. Um, I know in other industries, including now designs of of certain vehicles, you know, whether it's a car or an airplane, they're designing those via CAD systems that could be sent to the potential purchaser. And before they build that vehicle, uh, it's already been spec'd out in the electronic format for the customer specs. It's becoming more and more application to the citizen or the consumer that's buying that particular product when it comes to fertilizers without denigrating an entire multi-billion dollar industry it's the basically the uh... result of what we have done as humans uh, across the world to create food for people to ingest quality uh, crops and so the, the problem that has been with um, the traditional fertilizers known as mbk which is It's mass-produced and put in in, 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 uh, bags or in totes and then spread out into the soil without really um, any of the trace minerals or elements, the the magnesiums, the borons that we need for uh, digestion in our system and also for plant ingestion, too. What happens is you're getting nitrogen runoff that goes into the the, uh, streams, into the lakes, and now into the ocean, which is having a dramatic impact on the, the, uh, the quality of, of these lake streams and oceans. It's actually destroying them. What we're doing is we're eliminating that nitrogen runoff. The technology, which has been developed over the last 30 years, it's patented, and we, we bought the company, and we brought the scientists with us to grow it. It's changed that. And so, but to take the next step to get higher yields is, again, if I in the Midwest want to plant a certain crop, for example, tomato, and you, if you're back home, uh, as a child in the u k uh, that same crop won 't grow here as it will in that environment there, so with the technologies that we now have under our roof, we can then apply that and change what is a fundamental problem you know in the world with nitrogen runoff
1: um, uh, this This is actually a a, a journey that i'm <laughs> i 'm taking us down here because now i 'm leading to the crux of the matter. If I look uh, at my research uh, of what has been happening to agriculture over the last 30 or 40 years, you look at Haiti, where for thousands of years you have a country that has been uh, evolving uh, and sustained by local agriculture. And therefore that's where the employment and the way of life has come from. Now unfortunately you've, you've had organizations like the USAID who provide uh, um, uh, crops uh, that um, grow, but are not sustainable. Uh, so in other words, they they may get one crop in a year, but then they have to dig it all up and start all over again. Um, that may be manipulation, I don't know, I'm not qualified to say, but it's certainly a way of breaking down the old agricultural ways of life. What you're talking about here you see to me looking at the bigger scheme of things is creating uh, a vehicle for people in an area that I feel is so important in bringing agricultural back again to bringing all those jobs back again to bringing those ways of life back again so if you're talking about providing a product that is supplied on the feedback that you receive from your customers to ensure that they get what they need where they are geographically placed in order to revitalize their agriculture and their ways of life, then that surely is a grand plan and a, and, and a, a noble one.
2: It is. And, and what it does is as the, the demand for protein increases, as, as third world societies want to be more uh, healthy in, in the foods they ingest and the, as they become more educated, the demand for quality products, i.e. crops, is something that they're looking at and they're making demand for. The answer is not traditional MPK because you're increasing the nitrogen runoff and and you're also, without getting into some of the other details uh, regarding what fertilizer does, is you're also creating a sterile environment for what the end product is. There are much more healthier ways, especially when it comes to cell metabolism within the plant that actually affects our metabolism. And the fact that over time, I've been in Haiti with the, the forms of manure that they're using for, uh, for growth of, of organic matter, that one of the derivatives of that is heavy metals that gets into the, um, the soil. And then uh, that is then is absorbed into the plant. And that's why you know, you're seeing the increase in, in cancer rates in societies that are using these, these type of fertilizer applications. It's, it's facts that many know, the governments know, but they don't know how to address it yet until these new technologies can approach it. But to be able, our technology is, through the process, we can extract uh, 52 56% of uh, a matter called Humate, and we can take an arid land that's silicone, i.e. the desert, and over time we can mix these very sterile environments and create very rich agricultural land. And uh, it's extraordinary. It gives us an opportunity, not only as a business model, but also as humans to correct the problems, perhaps in Haiti. To us that would be very exciting. But also into areas that have, um, over time, like certain areas of China, that have deforested their uh, traditional areas that was very fertile and now have become uh, deserts and creating these vicious sandstorms. And they have to continue to increase their uh, productivity in uh, farming because of the demand now of the individuals in China that are going up to the the value chain. Uh, So it's a tremendous, tremendous uh, problem. But with these technologies, much in our little niche, we can solve them. And we can do it in a fashion that is very, very uh, conducive to the environment. So I I just think it's a very exciting time to be alive to be implementing these technologies.
1: (laughs) You know, uh, there there is also uh, there is always a, a method in my madness, Michael. As you're probably beginning to realise, I, I, being well-read and uh, chronologically, uh, I, I think of my questioning and and the the way that the programme rolls. And the beginning of this whole programme, my thoughts were that uh, we are, to a certain extent, in this world, driven by the uh, frailties or the, the the problems that occurred after after Columbus took a right to all these countries and and raped all the natural resources so you know when i came into this discussion i was thinking to myself as many uh, commentators ask me well you talk about technology becoming uh the important tool going forward and i always think to myself well how do we uh, repeal or um how do we roll back all those centuries uh, where the global village um, it, we may have a global village but how at the same time it was harmed so what i think that we have accomplished here is that that i've asked you how can people uh, become armed with technology Uh, and and not be so worried that they cannot necessarily do anything with their hands anymore because perhaps we don't have a world where that the traditional ways of life that we had can can come back again but technology has to be used and I think that what you are describing is a repeal of everything that we've gone through by not closing down the global village that was created but actually enhancing it by giving back to people whether it's in Haiti or anywhere else through the products that a technology led into revitalizing their communities in giving back hundreds of years of what we took away from them.
2: Yeah, and, and, and to restore society that was built around agriculture, we went from an agrarian society to industrialized society, which for a lot of people, especially in the States and in Europe, the per capita income increased with those new forms of ways to make a living. At the same time, and, and, and I in I want to give a benefit, a positive, to the human condition, because I think there was good intent, and, but the byproducts of that is we were polluting the Earth. And at the time also, the rest of the world outside of Europe and, and the United States was uh, in a position that was not as demanding on our society as today, i.e. the emergence of the Chinese and the Indians, and because of dictatorships and keeping... Impoverished societies, impoverished. You didn't have the demand on global resources that we have today. I continue as I travel to be just stunned and actually pleased that individuals in, in Asia, despite their backgrounds and stuff, truly want to be westernized, want the benefits of what westernized society brings freedom, democracy, the ability to rise up from the bootstraps and be able to be self supporting through a job, to be able to make money and support the family. So, Now you have, you know, all these new consumers or citizens, as we like to call them now, which is correct, wanting the things that the West has, but also realizing that we can't support it. The age of austerity for on global resources is huge. However, we as humans have not really looked back at what did agriculture really bring? What what what, the tools that God gave us to basically to uh, create crops and to support. A society in an agrarian is now being relooked at and refocused. Uh, for example, the the biofuels revolution is taking place, where we're very close here in the states, and I know other parts of the world, of taking a a crop and converting it to a biofuel to fuel um, an automobile, to fly a Boeing jet across the United States. It, it's happening, and it's moving very swiftly. And that's by the refocus of you know entrepreneurs and corporations is going back and looking at plant matter that really is the 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 whole vehicle of life and how how does a plant grow how does it survive what's the byproducts of it can i harvest the same energy that's in oil to make fuel for an automobile and it's happening i mean what what best gift that god has given us is the ability to understand renewables and understand a plant and how we can extract energy out of there and do it in a way where we price oil and it's friendly to the environment it reduces the the carbon footprint so I think there's a revitalization um, driven by, I think, a refocus on the human condition, the global society. Also awareness that we are entering an age of austerity for certain of these uh, elements out there that are being dissipated, and the fact that if we don't change, then the world is going to get far uh, worse off than it is today, especially with the
1: environmental condition that we're facing. Well, what's interesting out of that is that as in my last letters from America, I talked about, I actually titled it uh, Competition for Resources uh, and cited America as being a. Uh In a grave crisis because clearly we have a lot of people coming here because of its natural resources because of its jobs and the whole idea for me it seems is to be able to allow people to return back to their countries because people do want to return back home. Uh, Rwanda and Bosnia were indicative of that where you had the most terrible genocide and yet at the end of the day people still wanted to return home. I think that the ideas that you have in being able to provide a product that is uh, driven by your customers and by these citizens ensures that the Global Village will return people back to where they came from. And and I think the result of that, Michael, is that you will see their cultures return with it, which takes the pressure off of developed countries like the United States. I agree with you. In your next couple of weeks, uh, you clearly have your challenges and your continued journey. What will you be thinking, what will you be doing until we talk next time, Michael?
2: Well, despite the adversity, and what what I have to do over the next week, um, I still feel very blessed um, with my family, my friends, um, with the individuals I work with on a daily basis. And it, it will not deter me from what now I believe the mission that God has given me to implement and grow the business and and the tremendous technology that has been given to us. And so, uh, despite this next step and what I have to do and despite the adversity, we're just very focused on
1: continuing to do good things with our our businesses. Well, we will certainly be continuing these programs, Michael. I think that uh, the conversations we have are profound. I think your journey is uh, equally inspirational. Um, I certainly wish you luck over the next uh, week or two until we talk again and uh, hope that your your journey is uh, very, very successful. Thank you, David. And to our listeners today, I hope you have enjoyed this program as much as we have in this continuing series. You can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. And meanwhile, wherever you are in this wonderful world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. <laughs>
3: Tune into Inner Speak Soul Adventures Talk Radio Show every Tuesday evening at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 Eastern, and learn how to let go of your past and create the reality you desire and deserve, allowing your inner communication to take place more easily without the interference of our noisy mind chatter or your ego. Inner Speak Soul Adventures with Gene Adrian, right here on the 7th Wave Network. As a new era approaches December 2012, evolution invites you to expand awareness now to become the magnificent creator you forgot you are. Explore beyond current sensory perceptions with host Doreen Agostino to align body, mind, spirit, and unleash inner wealth. Discover and apply universal success principles to consciously and deliberately create your life. To align with inner truth, shine light of new thought, and joyfully prosper. Tune in Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network.
1: Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time for The Growth Strategist with Aldona Ambler. On the show, Aldona and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldona will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit,
3: and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and the Grow Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Annie Arman. Why
0: teens, you have got to tune into this show and listen to your fellow teens. If you're out there confused because somebody is trying to put doubts in you, making you think that you can't do what you want to do, get it straight. You can, you will, and you will get it done no matter what. And don't ever give up because you're not alone.
3: Don't miss Annie Arman live on Voice America, Wednesdays from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Approximately 1 in 150 children are affected by autism, giving autism the undesired ranking as the most prevalent childhood developmental disorder in the U.S. 67 children will be diagnosed today. That is nearly one child every 20 minutes. Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzimedica, hosted by Terry Oranga, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Autism is treatable and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Terry offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcasts each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, a conversation of hope. Through education and conversation, there is hope.
1: and listen to
3: CIO Talk Radio with Sanjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business.